Well, happy Easter, everybody. It's great to, uh, to be together this morning, and thank you so much uh, for joining us in this place. You know, what a day when we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It really it just doesn't get any better than this. I, I remember as a college student when God got a hold of my life, uh, Easter took on a whole new meaning. And I can say that as the years have gone by, what we celebrate this morning continues to be more and more significant. Maybe you felt that way too, that the more life that you get under your belt, the more a holiday like this, when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the more impact it has for you. Or maybe you're on the other side of that this morning, and you would say, you know what, it really has yet to land in my heart in a, in a big way, in a significant way. And I just want to say, I'm, I'm glad that you're here this morning. I can relate to that. I can relate to a lot of years, honestly, of sitting in, in a church and, and feeling those same kinds of things. Like, it just, it just wasn't landing uh, yet. And, um, but we're, we're praying this morning um, for all of us uh, that God would meet us in this place. And so it's just such a privilege to gather here. We're praying that you would be blessed in this place. But we're praying most of all that God would receive from his people this morning this incredible offering of worship that we would be able to give him today. I want to tell you about something that happened on Monday at our kids' elementary school just a couple blocks from here. Um, I was at the, kind of toward the end of the hall, and I heard this young boy, um, kindergartner, up the hall, and he was saying to his peers, the little kids around him, the little six-year-olds around him, and to this one parent that was still standing there with, with her son or daughter, and uh, he, he said to them with a whole lot of excitement, he said, do you know why we celebrate Easter? And, and then he kept going, and he was really passionate about it. He said, do you, know, <clears throat> do you know why we celebrate Easter? And then he goes, it's coming. He said, do you guys know? And he looked up at this mom like, do you know? Do you know why we celebrate Easter? I mean, he was really going for it, and I was thinking he's about to break some school policies, but he sure is passionate, you know? And... Uh, and so he goes into it, and it was great. I could, as I watched him, he gets up on his knees then, and he looks at his peers in the eyes, and he says to them, he says, we celebrate Easter because Jesus has risen from the dead. And then he goes, guys, he's alive. And I thought to myself, as I watched him, and he just, by this time, the, the class is standing up to go to their, their classroom, and, and he's walking away, and he has this this level of joy, I mean, it's kind of this joyful swagger even with the way that he was walking. And as I watched this little innocent uh, interaction unfold, I thought to myself, how appropriate. You know, how appropriate to have that level of excitement around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It doesn't get any better than that. It was as if this little boy had just experienced the biggest victory of his life. The cross of Jesus Christ was the beginning of the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this morning, it is such a privilege for us to be able to celebrate it together. But you know what? It wasn't, <clears throat> it wasn't always that way. There wasn't always such this taste of victory. There wasn't always this celebration that we're gathered for here this morning and that millions and millions of people around the globe are gathered around this morning. It wasn't always that way. If you follow the storyline of the life of Jesus Christ, you know this. You know that when he came into Jerusalem, the, that the crowds were gathered there along the streets on the first time he came in, and, and they were shouting praises to him. They were saying things like this to him. They were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us, we pray. And in their minds, as the people were celebrating Jesus coming into Jerusalem, they were thinking one thing, and they had one thing on their mind, and it was victory. 
Because they thought, okay, Jesus is coming, and since Jesus is finally coming, this is going to allow us to have freedom from this Roman oppression that we've been living under for years and years. They thought, for sure, now we're going to be able to be freed from this. But their taste of victory would soon be defeated because the one that they were shouting to, the one that they were singing his praises, the one that they were welcoming into Jerusalem that day would soon be the one who would be mocked and spit upon and scorned and nailed to a cross. And the one that they were even shouting towards, they would take part right along with him in giving Jesus Christ scorn. They would be right there nailing him to the cross. They tasted victory when he came in. And they thought surely things are going to be different. But as the story unfolds, when Jesus would hang on the cross, that would be for them the greatest picture of their dream being completely dashed. Victory gone. Yet at the height of that moment, when Jesus Christ was impaled to a cross, when what seemed like utter defeat, we see him say things that really I think they actually sound crazy. I mean, imagine this. From the cross... After being stripped of all of his dignity, Jesus says this. He says, Father, forgive them, those that are scorning me, those that put me here. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. You get to know Jesus, and you will get to know the most loving and the most uh, incredible display of humility known to mankind. Now, if you keep going in the storyline, three days later, we see this account. We see that Mary, the mother of Jesus, and some other women, they went to the, to the tomb to pay their honors to Jesus. But on their way there, an angel of the Lord appears to them, and, and sure enough, it startles them. I mean, I mean imagine that. Rightly so, the, the angel startles them. But the angel says, do not be afraid, for Jesus, who are, you are looking for, he is risen. He's no longer here. And so you go, and you tell the disciples, go quickly. And then verse 8, it says this. It says, so the women, they hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell the disciples, and suddenly Jesus met them. Imagine that. Jesus meets them, and he says, greetings, he said. And they came to him, and they clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. What a turn of events. You talk about a victory. Talk about all the fears, all the doubts, all the uncertainty completely out the door in that moment because it was one thing for Jesus Christ to claim to be God. It was one thing for Jesus Christ to say, yes, I am truly the Son of God. But it was a completely other thing for Jesus Christ to conquer death and historical fact, empty tomb, to rise from the grave, that went from, instead of just proclaiming, instead of just claiming, that took it to another level where Jesus had just proved that he truly is the Son of God. Now what's so impactful about that, and it's why with so much joy we celebrate here this morning, what's so impactful about this event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is it allows us to enter into this incredible invitation that allows you and it allows me to know Jesus Christ. To really know the one who defeated death. Who is not distant. He is not a distant God. But to know the one who truly brings life. In a way that makes a real difference. In the lives of people in this room. Real people. You face real challenges. 
And so the resurrection, it's incredible. And it's on, I would say, it's kind of the bookend, right? It's clear over here. And this morning, though, what I want us to do is this. In order to understand this incredible invitation that the resurrection of Jesus Christ calls us into and it allows us to be a part of, I think we've got to go from the resurrection. We've got to back up a little bit. And we've got to say, okay, what came first in the storyline of Jesus Christ? What is this invitation from Jesus really all about? And how does it impact us right here today? Let me ask you a question have you ever been on a memorable walk? Have you ever been on a walk that you remember, maybe it was because of the place that you were significant to you, maybe on a vacation or something like that, or maybe it was because you remember this walk because something happened to you while you were on it. I remember when we had our, our first child, our oldest son, Aiden, and I remember just a couple of days actually after he was born, I took him to a park and I took him for a little walk. And while we were there, I got him out of the car and I, I strapped this thing on. And, and the first time I did, I about strangled myself, if you've ever tried to put one of these on, right? And so I put this thing on and, and you know, I don't know if you had this feeling, but I remember when we took Aiden home from the hospital, um, we thought to ourselves, surely we're going to get arrested on the way home. Because why on earth would anybody allow us to take home a child? We're so inadequate to, to, to shepherd this little thing, right? And so anyway, I'm on this walk, and I put Aiden into this little carrier, and he was so small, his little arms and his little legs, they didn't even come out of these holes, and his head was just kind of facing me. And I remember, though, just being such a proud father on this walk. And so I'm walking, and, and people are, are, you know, walking by me, and they had to be able to tell that I was a new parent because I was just beaming. And it was kind of like I had a new puppy, and I was, do you want to pet him, you know? And, and I, just, I was just so into it, right? And I was thinking that day, oh, I, I don't know how, what we're doing, and this is going to be a little hard, and we're going to learn a lot, but boy, I'm loving the journey so far, right? But I was also thinking as we were walking, it was kind of a cool day, and I was thinking to myself, man, it's nice having this little guy because he's so warm. And I thought to myself, I mean, he is really warm. And I'm making sure he was okay, and you know. And, and so anyway, we get back to the car, and again, I'm thinking, man, this is great. It's like a little bitty warmer on my body as we're walking. And so I pull him out of it, and, and I take this thing off, and I realize he peed all <laughs> over me. And I don't mean, I don't mean like a little bit of pee. I mean way bigger than he was. Like, how does something this big produce this much fluid? You know, like, it's big, right? Memorable walk. I will never forget that. That was 11 years ago. Today I want to take you, right? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is over here. I want to hit rewind. I want to take you to John chapter 1. Because in John chapter 1, there was a very memorable walk. There was a guy named Philip. And in this text, in John chapter 1, we see that Philip was invited into something that was so big and so good and so exciting to him that he would have never forget this walk. On this walk, Jesus said two words to him. Two simple words that literally, literally changed the trajectory of Philip's life. Two words that it would have driven Philip to an exciting fork in the road. A road that he would have later you know, at first he was like, I don't know where that will take me. But later he would look back on it and he would go, oh, what gratitude I have that I was invited into this. And so this is what it says in John chapter 1, an unforgettable walk. It says, verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, here they are, these two simple words. He said, follow me. 
Now, in that moment, Philip had to make a decision. Would he choose to truly discover what Jesus would invite him into? And there have been books that have been written about just those two words, follow me. And this morning on a day when we celebrate with joy the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and rightly so, oh, he's worthy of our celebration this morning. But this morning, I think one of the most important questions that we could answer is this. What does it truly mean to follow him? What at the core of the core does it mean to follow Jesus? What was Jesus inviting Philip into? What does he invite you into? What does the resurrection of Jesus Christ really mean for you? What difference does it truly make in your everyday life? One thing is for sure. When Jesus Christ went to the grave and then when he was resurrected, that event, that historical event, picked up the pen and it wrote the most extravagant invitation to both you and I. And so this morning, I want to explain that invitation the best way I can. And I want to explain it with just three simple words to you, for you. Three words. Here they are. The first one is relationship. The second one is freedom. And the third word is life. What was God inviting Philip into? What does God invite you into this morning? So to put a magnifying glass on these three words, I want to take you to some of what I think are the most impactful verses in the New and the Old Testament that help us understand this incredible invitation that God lays out for you and I. And so as we go through this, so I want to encourage you. Would you ask yourself, we're going to look at these three, three words. Would you just say, okay, God, would you show me which word you have for me this morning? Might there just be one of them that you just say, oh, that's why I'm here. God, you knew I'd be here, and it was for me to hear about that. The first word is relationship. The relational aspect of Jesus Christ, it is central to Christianity. It sets it apart from any other faith system. I love the way that David uh, described the, the picture that he painted of what God is like and, and how God relates to us. And he said this, and, and if you know anything about King David, you know that he experienced a lot in his life. He experienced some extremely high highs, but David also experienced some extremely low lows. Maybe you can relate to that. But through it, this is what David said. This is how he described this relationship that God had with him. He said, Lord, you are my shepherd. It's like you, Lord, you are my leader. And he said, Lord, when you're leading me, he said, I don't lack anything. And he said, Lord, you, you lead me so well. You refresh my soul. And you're not distant. You're not far from me. You know me so well. You're with me. You ever found yourself when your back is just against the wall? Maybe that's even you this morning. You're in a situation and you would just say, wow, my back is against the wall. I am deeply challenged. David said this in the midst. He said, even though I walk through the darkest valley, he said, I will fear no evil. Why? He said, because this is the relationship. He said, God, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In other words, the presence of God is real. It's relational. It's interactive. God, he's saying, you're not too busy. God, there's no way that I would say of you that you're too distracted. Your head's not down looking at your phone. No, no, no. You're not that way. You have time. You know me. You interact with me. Your presence is so real. And to the core of who I am, you lead my soul. You care about the deepest part of me more than anybody else does. When Jesus said to Philip, follow me, he was inviting him into relationship. 
read through the New Testament and you see that Jesus disdained, like he hated it. He hated empty religion. Because he saw how when people did things that were uh, ritualistic without a relationship, he saw how it messed them up. He saw when people practiced empty religion where it led them. And it broke the heart of God. It breaks the heart of God. Because God says, no, no, I offer you relationship. You might be able to relate to that. Maybe you've practiced religion a lot. Maybe you have. And you would just say, you know what, and you would understand this, that when you practice religion without relationship, religion gets pretty ugly. It gets to the point where you look at your kids or whoever and you say, I know I should because they're watching and all of that. And so you start practicing religion. But before long, religion, without true relationship with Jesus Christ, it feels like you're accomplishing a bad chore. It's empty. This is why we see throughout the scriptures that when the people, when they would fashion these different gods, whether it be out of wood or stone or bronze or gold, when they would make things with their hands and then they would kneel down and they would worship before them, we see throughout the scriptures that God would shake his head at them. And he would say things to them like, do you really think the thing that you made is going to grieve when you grieve? Do you really think the thing that you fashioned with your hand is going to take great joy when you accomplish great things? Do you really think that the things that you made are going to know you? P to put it very simply, Christianity as its core is an invitation into a relationship with a God who knows you. A God who does grieve when you grieve. A God who does take great joy when you find great joy. When Christina, my wife, was 16 years old, she was shown a truth about who God is in it completely changed her perspective on life and who God is. And she had experienced her share of empty religion. She understood well what that was. But when she was 16, she learned this truth about who God is, and it made her stand back and say, wow, God, if that is true, and now she's kind of tested that over a period of years, God, if that is true, if you, if you truly are that, if you offer that kind of, that level of relationship, wow. That blows my mind. It was this, Deuteronomy 31, it says, Be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or terrified. And then here's the truth. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And as a high school student, as she looked at a whole lot of instability and brokenness and fractured relationships in her home, by God's grace she found, okay, empty religion left me there. But God, you offer me this. It still blows my mind to this day that God is knowable. That our creator, there's not a person in this room this morning that our creator didn't know before the foundations of the earth. He knows you, he loves you, he cares about you. And that's why this morning we celebrate who he is. The second word that I think describes this incredible invitation that God calls us into, that he invites us into because of the resurrection it's this word. Number two, it's the word freedom. When I was a little kid, I, I signed up for the Cub Scouts. And at our first meeting, I remember coming home with this little booklet. And if you did certain things, like good things to learn and to do, if you did certain things, you would go to your parents and you would say, okay, I did this, and they would initial it. And then as the weeks and the months went by, you would take your booklet, hopefully, which was getting filled up, and you would take it to your Cub Scout leader, and they would give you what they called merit badges. 
And the more merit badges that you got, the higher in rank that you were able to go in the Cub Scouts. It was a merit-based system. And it was very effective. It was motivating. But the sad thing is this, on a much more important front, you survey 10 people on the street and you ask them how they think they can have a right relationship with the living God that loves them, and they will describe a merit-based system. Nine out of ten people likely will say to you, well, if I just do good, if I do enough good, if I have enough good badges to, to outweigh my blunders, then hopefully in the end, if I walk the line and I walk it straight enough, then one day I'm hoping that there'll, either be, a pay, that there'll be a payoff for me. And if there's not a payoff for me, then there's going to be some sort of punishment for me. You know, it's one thing for a merit system to be motivating to a child, but it is a terrifying way to think about eternity, isn't it? Unlike any other faith system, Christianity is not merit-based. God looks at you and he doesn't look at the things that you have done, but he looks at you and he looks at what you could never do. And he says, okay, I'm going to step in the place of the things that you could never do. You could never die. You could never rise from the grave. And so I'm going to step in and I'm going to pay for your sin. I'm going to step in. It's not about what you've done. It is not a merit-based system. Not at all. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, and I tell you, it's just such a privilege to share these kind of truths. It says, but the kindness and the love of God, when the kindness and the love of God are Savior, it says, when he appeared, he saved us. Here it is. Not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. That's freedom from earning. Think about it, through faith in Jesus Christ, what God accomplished on the cross, it takes away your need, and thank goodness, it takes away my need to try to get as many merit badges as I can in this life so that one day I roll the dice, and I sure hope that I stand before God and get a, good, good, get a gold star. Instead, God says, no, you can grab my hand in relationship, based not on you, but based on me and what I've done for you. That reality blew my mind as a 19-year-old college student. And I remember exactly where I was sitting on this college campus. And I remember thinking, are you serious? I can stop doing X, Y, and Z so that I try to get the approval of God. Are you serious? Blew my mind. The last word is this. It's the word, I think, another word that describes what God invites us to because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the word life. One thing is for sure. And I think this can be a very unfortunate misconception. It's that Jesus did not just die. He was not simply resurrected from the grave so that you and I could one day go to heaven when we die. He didn't do all of that. He didn't go through the resurrection. He didn't go through the cross just so that one day you and I could get a good death benefit. Now, one day you and I are going to spend eternity in the presence of God and it blows our mind. We can't even wrap our minds around how great it will be to spend eternity with the God that knows us and loves us, the creator of all things. We're going to marvel at it. But know this, when Jesus Christ came, he said, hey, I don't offer you just eternity when you die, but I offer you life now, more than a death benefit. If you trust me just for a death benefit, then you are totally missing out. Jesus standing before these people, before he would soon give his life to them, he said this. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He's describing the world that you live in. You can relate to that. I can relate to that. Troubles. 
He says, but I have come that they, that you and I may have life and have it to the full. When you embrace life, the life that God has for you, it changes everything. It redefines your purpose. So instead of just doing the job, you do the job with a different mindset. Instead of just raising kids, you think legacy. You think, oh, things that are way beyond this, this world. I have a friend that's been very open with me. He's very successful in the business world. He said, Jeff, I have a bigger salary than I ever thought that I would have. It's more than I need. He said, you know what, I've accomplished things. I've got different promotions. And he said this. He said, I've experienced thrill after thrill in my life, things that only money can buy. And he said, but when God got a hold of me, it brought me a sense of life that I have never experienced before. Never before. It's brought me a purpose, so I don't just do things the way I used to do them, but I realize, God, you created me for a grander purpose. You're my creator. You're smarter than me. And any thrill that I thought that I could earn or achieve or get behind my name, it pales in comparison to the life that you're now calling me to. There's no doubt about it. That day when Philip received those two words from Jesus Christ, follow me, he had no idea of the depth of relationship that he would find in Jesus Christ. He had no idea of the freedom from the bondage that he would experience. And he had no idea of the life that God would call him into. Is there one of those words this morning that you would say, that's why God brought me here? I needed to hear, okay, I needed to hear, God, you offer a relationship. I've never, never thought about that before. I've always thought of you as this distant God, and, and I'll do things, and we'll try to be right, and hopefully at the end it will all be a good score. Or maybe this day you just say, wow, God, you offer me life, like not just normal life, but Lord, you call me to a grander vision, a grander purpose. This morning we have such an awesome opportunity because there's no way to, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ than I don't think there's any better way than to celebrate new life, new life in Christ. It's, it's this idea that, that we can identify with Jesus Christ. And so this morning... We're going to do some, some baptisms together. And uh, there are 21 people this morning that signed up to be baptized over the last couple of weeks. And they said, you know what? They said, I have received Jesus. I've put my faith in him. I put my faith in what he did for me on the cross. The fact that historical event, the tomb was empty. He rose from the grave. I put my stock in that. And they've said, Lord, I accept your invitation. I accept the invitation to relationship and to freedom. And I accept the invitation to life. And so this morning, as we celebrate new life through the resurrection, I want you to see just on the screens here a little bit of their story. So yeah, take, take a look here. Before putting my faith in Christ, I lived in my own world. I felt very worried, anxious, and fearful of what was to come. So I put on a show. I put faith in myself to find happiness and live to satisfy the selfish needs of myself. I made life choices based on thrills, pleasure, and how much fun it would be. I sought the world and all its lies, began to hate and persecute those who were different than me. I never felt like I was enough or had done enough for others or God to love me unconditionally. Which led to a frustrating and unfulfilling life. I felt I understood Christ, and I thought I was doing a good job living a Christian life. I felt far from God, that my rebellion from His perfect will had left me ugly, broken, angry, and empty. I felt unsatisfied, unfulfilled, without direction, no purpose. I felt like I was doing the right things by my way, especially when I 
went through hardships, but I was so frustrated. I felt a lot of resentment towards the world around me and found little satisfaction in the earthly things in my life. I wasn't happy because I wasn't spiritually fulfilled. When I'd really learned what Jesus did for me, I turned from my ways and found him waiting. I realized that his love is not dependent on anything that I do or have done. I learned to give my irrational worries and fears to him, which gives me the opportunity to experience new things. I felt a new sense of direction. Knowing that God had a plan for me was freeing. When I finally learned what Jesus did for me, I learned about grace and the role it played in his sacrifice for us. I was saved. I don't have to be everything to everyone. Only God can fill that void. It was like a great burden was lifted from my shoulders. I knew that if and when I stumbled, I would be forgiven, picked up, and pointed back down the path. My life has been changed by His grace. God didn't expect me to be perfect. Life wasn't some great test that I either passed or failed, and His truth wasn't reserved for a single group of people. By starting a new life with Jesus, I am surrounded by more love, peace, and joy. I realize the relationship with God is the most valuable thing and only He can satisfy. I now know that God's love can be an unwavering, unconditional, ever-present love that is always with me. With God's love, I won't lose, can't lose. No matter what life's challenge is, God's plan wins every time. I now know that God's love can save me from feelings of despair, provide salvation, and give everlasting grace to me, a broken follower of Jesus. I now know that God's love can be extended to me too through Jesus Christ. For the first time in my life, I'm ready to really commit myself to Christ and be counted among his followers. I'm not frightened, I feel only content. I feel only peace, and I'm excited. I now know that God's love cannot be limited and overcomes all of my imperfections and self-doubt. I now know that God's love can bless me with a life of lasting peace, happiness, and satisfaction. God promises to never leave me, and I will always be enough for him, just as he created me. なぜかというとイエスキリストと共に生活をしていくことは私にとって愛情や希望そして平和な気持ちを持つことができるからです。I now know that God's love can help me overcome any obstacle I face or anything I worry about, which gives me the confidence to be myself. Hey, let's give those people a round of applause. Yeah. Awesome. Great. You know, it never gets old to celebrate changed lives. It never gets old. And uh, this morning, baptism is this beautiful picture. I want to share this verse with you. This is from Romans chapter 6. It says that we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. And then here it is, that we too may live a new life. And so this morning, as you see these folks get baptized, this group, you're going to see us, we'll put them under the water and we'll say, we won't like hold them like that, but we'll say, you were buried with Christ in his death and you were raised to walk a new life. And what we're doing is this, baptism is this public demonstration of an inward transformation. It's saying, yes, yes, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that he did die for my sins. I do believe he was raised from the dead and I believe that he is God. And this morning they say, hey, I'm putting my faith in him. And so I'm identifying with the fact that he was buried, that he was raised from the grave, and now that he calls me to a new life. And I just want to say to you this morning, you might be a person here today and 
And as we've talked and, and as you've even thought about those three words, relationship, as we've thought about that word freedom, maybe God says to you, get off the performance track. You don't have to live there anymore. Or maybe God says to you, you know what, I'm calling you. I'm calling you not to an average life. I'm calling you to a grand vision for your life that only your creator knows and will reveal to you. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you, if that's you, do not wait. Say to Jesus Christ this morning, I believe in you. I believe in you. I thank you that you revealed yourself to me this morning. And when you do, putting your faith in Christ simply means this, I trust, I believe in the events that took place, and I say now, Lord, you are the, you're, you're on the throne of my life. Lord, I'm saying today, you are the leader of my life. And when you do that, I remember the day when I did it, you're invited to be a child of God, a living God. And I also just want to say to you, you know, we, we're going to do these baptisms, and baptisms, again, it's this public, like, my stake in the ground, yes, proudly, I'm a follower of Christ, he's He's changing my life. Maybe you're here this morning and God would say to you, hey, you should be baptized. And maybe you are a follower of Christ and you've never been baptized before. I talked to a guy this week. He said, I've I've been a Christian so long, I'm ashamed to get baptized. I said, oh, no, 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 no. We'll celebrate with you. Get baptized. Or maybe this morning for the first time, it's been a first touch from God. And you would say, yes, I'm putting my faith in Christ. I would invite you this morning to be baptized as well. And since it's Easter, we know that this is important. You don't even have to get your clothes wet, right? And so our team really went to town on this and created this bag for you. You can walk over there under our For the City sign. There's some leaders that would love just to to meet with you and then to be able to set you up with a whole um, change of clothes, flip-flop. I might get re-baptized just for the flip-flops, to be honest. Uh, Just kidding. But really this morning, we didn't want anything to be in your way of celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ changes lives because it doesn't get any better than that, does it, church? It doesn't. And so this morning, if God's nudged you, um, would you be obedient to that? Don't ignore that. But say, okay, God, yeah, I'll take that step. I put my faith in you, and I'll even go further today. I'll go home, and my most memorable walk will maybe become what you'll walk this morning, walking right up to that tank. What a cool thing that would be. Um, so, yeah, let me pray for us, and, uh, and then we'll sing together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you reveal yourself to us. Thank you, Lord, that we can be called your sons and your daughters. And, Lord, thank you for an opportunity this morning to declare, God, you are the one who changes lives. We celebrate the resurrection today, and we pray this in Christ's name. Church, let's stand up now. And, again, if you want to be baptized, just go right over there this morning.